Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, you feeling like a winner this morning? Oh, we slayed mighty Louisiana Tech. I mean, just slayed them. They even had a dude that looked like a freaking uh, defensive tackle, and we still won the game easily. Yeah, man, that was quite interesting. They wore him out quick. Uh, you know, any kind of he was really effective early, and I, I I'd heard about him a little bit. Don't know as much about basketball. Speaking candidly, I'm still learning. But you know, a, a team or a, like a Louisiana Tech, I wouldn't know a ton about. And so I heard, kept hearing about this Lofton guy, see him, and I'm like, I get it. I mean, the the guy is um, not only is he a chunk, uh, so you immediately you know your eyes go to him a lot. But he he balls out. He's a great player. Um, really the, the, the way that Alabama likes to run up and down the court, man, uh, he just, he couldn't handle it. And then I think by the second half, he was dealing with some kind of ailments and, and just wasn't able to really have the same impact that he did during the first half. But Alabama looked phenomenal last night. I mean, 93, 64 final score, you know, Keon Ellis was probably the star of the game. If you asked anybody, um, and rightfully so, I mean, plus 37, uh, you know, as Nate Oates said in the, the post game presser. That's uh that's almost unheard of. You know, that's some Herb Jones right. level stuff. Um, so great performance from Keon Ellis, great performance from a lot of these guys. JD Davison, you know, he ends up having his debut in a in a live actual game, and he looked great. 12-6-6 is a pretty solid stat line, especially for somebody that, you know, it wasn't on limited minutes necessarily. Um, but just, you know, if he was playing the entire game, you know, being one of those guys that was you know, playing a ton of minutes, then, you know, things might look a little bit different. Look at us. Yeah, he, he played 26. So he played quite a bit, but great stat line for him across the board. You know, Juwan Geary was great, uh, had a double-double. Um, so what were your kind of initial thoughts to uh, Alabama's big win last night? Yeah, I, I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been more excited. Uh, I was, I knew that the talent level was, was fun. Like, like, wow, th- this team, the talent level is, is better than than the typical Alabama basketball team. Uh, but what I was most impressed by or what got me real excited was I, I thought they played hard, uh, even though it was Louisiana Tech, even though it was a mid, even with a late tip. Uh, I thought they played hard. And, and that, that, to me, was the best sign. They played like they're not talented. I mean, then, then that, that they play like a blue-collar, hard-working bunch when, in fact, we have multiple NBA players on the court. And, and that's, that's what makes me believe this could be a special season uh, because it's a high talent level and, and, and obviously they're a pretty driven bunch. And that's exactly what you want to achieve great things. But college basketball is not college football, Clint. And, and one thing that can be really infuriating is this could be a fantastic team. And, you know, you get to the NCAA tournament and you just run into a buzzsaw. 
in, in round one or two. <laughs> and that's that. Then it's all over. You don't get another chance. It's like, you know, basketball, you know, it, 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 there's several teams capable of beating anybody. It's just like, like last night, Duke beat Kentucky. You know what? I'm, as crazy as it sounds, we could beat Duke. That, that Alabama team that I saw last night, they're, they're capable of beating any college basketball team, including Duke, including Kansas, including Michigan State, Kentucky, all of them. They, they could beat anyone. Gonzaga, they could beat them. But, uh, you know, you could also lose to Mississippi State. I mean, you could lose to Florida. Uh, you know, uh, that, that, that to me is what makes uh, basketball uh, frustrating. Uh, not not always the most gifted team wins. I think in football that it, it happens more frequently, but in basketball there just are upsets, and uh, we'll see what this team is able to accomplish. But I feel that it's as gifted as any Alabama basketball team uh, that I've seen since I started going to school there in the late '80s. Yeah, extremely deep and extremely fun. I mean, in you know, the crowd was incredible. We were talking a little bit about that uh, before we hopped on to record. The tribute to, to Fluff was fantastic. You know, his parents were there. The student section was energized, you know, and, and just if Alabama can get even remotely that level of contribution from the, the crowd on a consistent basis, Coleman Coliseum is going to be a very, very difficult place to play. Uh, you know, and, and I think that the the players fed off that energy, and I think that reflected in the final score. And so I hope that fans and students and everybody that was in attendance, they see that and they understand, hey, you know, we can help too. We can make an impact on this, and if we want to have a really good basketball team, we can't just, you know, kick back and watch it on the TV. We need to get in Coleman Coliseum and, and do our part because it d- certainly does make an impact, and it was a lot of fun to see. So, yeah, I mean, just can't wait uh, to see where this team goes across the board you know, a lot of depth, you know, whether it be young guys, you know, first-year players, whether it be guys who transferred in. I think probably the most disappointing player for week one, at least based off of what I thought he was going to be able to do, and and this is one game. This is not reflective of what he's going to mean to Alabama basketball this season by any means, but Noah Gurley, you know, I just heard a lot of really great things about him, and I probably don't keep up with, uh, you know, basketball as much as I should, but heard a lot of great things, and just from what I saw, went one for seven, uh, didn't really have much of an impact played, you know, I think close to 20 minutes, I uh, got in some foul trouble, but didn't really have, you know, wasn't a rebounder. Uh, I thought he played pretty good defense at times. Didn't re- translate to to getting boards or anything like that or blocks, but you know, I, I wonder what his contribution will be, you know, moving forward. And I certainly think he's going to bounce back. I don't think th- there's a reason that Alabama is this deep and Noah Gurley is in the starting lineup. Uh, Nate Oates clearly believes in him. So I'll be curious to see how he uh, kind of transitions or uh, continues to, to progress in Alabama's system. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Noah, uh, you know, that that's that's not what I expected of him, but uh, he, he is, uh, uh, you know, he looks the part. Uh, the fact that he's in the starting lineup with this deep of a talented group tells us a lot about what Nate thinks of his uh, potential and, and how good he can be. So I suspect we will see some big games from him. Uh, but I thought the nine guys who played – regularly throughout there were nine the five starters plus get plus jd off the bench plus joan gary off the bench darius miles and keon ambrose hilton uh so the starters plus those four guys that's nine highly capable guys where hopefully any night any one of the nine could be the best player you know last night it was keon uh i felt 
but uh, any one of those nine guys could be our best player. And that, that's a team. That's a team that's tough to, to handle because it's not always going to be your best night in basketball. But if you got nine guys capable of, 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 of being a, a, a big time scorer uh, and defensive uh, presence, uh, you're going to be pretty good. Yeah. I'd hope to see a little more out of Noah, but Keon was great. Shackford was, was, was really good. JD Davison was as advertised. I felt he really lifted the energy level. Uh, when he played, the building was sort of electric when he would come in the game. Uh, that was exciting. Betty Ako, I think he's going to be, to me, Clint, Charles Betty Ako, the freshman who did who was in the starting lineup, he might be a bit of a project offensively. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't stick around in college for two or three years. But at some point, when he gets it on offense and he – develops an offensive game whether it's a, a you know a, a little uh, hook jump shot or just just becomes a scorer he would be he will be drafted very 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 high one day I just don't know that's going to happen real quickly for him but uh Keon and, and JD will be ready for that next league and uh Quinterly is a fantastic player and uh he was good last night just just real exciting you know Louisiana Tech's a good team people look at that final score and went well of course Alabama crushed Louisiana Tech they were 12 and 4 in Conference USA last year they were gonna their favorites to win their conference tournament they got upset had to go to the NIT where they won all their way to the semifinal they lost in the semifinals to Mississippi State who we're familiar with um that's a good team that returned three starters added two transfers they were excited about I mean, that could easily be a team that wins Conference USA and uh, ends up in the NCAA tournament. So that win is going to look good to the committee in March when it comes to seeding time. Uh, don't get fooled by that final score. Louisiana Tech's pretty good. Yeah, I really thought that Betty Ako, um, based on, now granted, I think you figured out pretty early he was the the guy that was you know, tasked with, with Lofton. Um, I mean, that's why he was in the starting lineup. Anytime that Lofton went out of the game, Betty Ako was going out. He was coming back in a lot of the times when Lofton was coming back in and, and just early on in the game, I mean, on the first couple of possessions, I mean, it, I don't know how the guy just had three rebounds. It felt like he grabbed 12 on, yeah. you know, of his own right there on one of the first uh, possessions of the game. But, you know, I think he's going to end up being a very, very good player. And I think from a rebounding perspective, which is something that Alabama, you know, having that big man that can rebound, um, I think that's a, an element that Alabama you know, we'll be able to utilize. And they did last night, you know, they had somebody that can match up against somebody like Lofton. And if they go against any other, you know, big time centers, um, then they have a guy who they can put out there who at least on the defensive end of the court, I think will be able to do some pretty good things for them. But you're right. The offense really needs to kind of try to pick up and, and catch up. And I think that eventually happens, but you can tell this team just has a lot of different ways that it can attack you. It, it's a fun team to watch certain guys on certain nights. They're not, it's just not going to be their night. They have plenty of options to go to who, you know, the, the hot hand, you know, with Shackelford, you know, with, with Ellis, with Quinterly, you know, with Davison, I mean, just across the board, man, there are so many options and even, uh, you know, miles off the bench. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, looking, I think he went three for three on field. You know, we went four for four on field goals and three for three beyond the arc. I mean, you just you, you can't get any better than that from an efficiency standpoint. Is he going to do that all season? Absolutely not. But I mean, you know, you never know when he's your hot hand, and you got to ride him a little bit more than he even did last night. You didn't really need him last night, but you know, he provided a spark. And you know, going thirteen of thirty-three, you know, just under forty percent from beyond the arc. It's a three-point shooting team. They love they love to run. 
and they're a fun team to watch. So we spent a lot of time talking about the, the, the basketball team and it was the first game of the season and it was fun, you know, so definitely we want to do that. We're not going to do that for every game by any means, but on the highlighted stuff, the bigger stuff, you know, we'll try to take some time to do that. But today, the reason that we're here is to react to the college football playoff rankings, which came out last night. Uh, it got pushed back because of the the basketball games that were going on. So the, you know, show didn't come on until much later. We were at the, both of us were at the basketball game. So it was kind of hard to keep up with both, but we were able to get it done. And I've actually been looking a lot at it as far as how the ranking shook out this morning and got some thoughts. And I'm sure you do too. So just go ahead with, you know, Alabama checks in at number two or stayed at number two. Uh, that was not a surprise to me when you look at all these other teams um, in the top 10. I mean, who, who are you going to put ahead of them? You know, who are you going to have jump them? You know, number two or excuse me, number three, Michigan State loses to Purdue. They're not moving up. Um, number four, Oregon struggles with Washington. That's a rivalry game, so I get it. But, uh, you know, Washington has not been a very good football team. They're four and five. You know, do we really think that Oregon is the number two team in the country? You know, uh, you look at number you know, five Ohio State, they struggled against a three and six Nebraska squad. You look at number six, uh, Cincinnati, they've struggled, you know, the last three weeks, they've gotten wins, but they've all been close against Tulane and Navy. And then of course, uh, you know, Tulsa, they only won by eight and it was a very fortunate break for them at the end of that game. So who were you really putting ahead of Alabama? You know, that was the thing. It, it wasn't shocking at all to me that Alabama remained at number two despite the fact that they barely squeaked by a very pedestrian LSU team. But, you know, what were your, at least some of your thoughts on the initial college football playoff, or not the initial, but the second wave of the college right. football playoff rankings? No, no, I, I agree uh, 100%. You have to put Alabama second. Uh, there's no one else with a better resume. Uh, now, everybody needs to remember the college football playoff rankings committee, they do this differently than the AP poll. They don't look at last week's poll and decide, okay, who's moving up, who's moving down. They start with a clean sheet every week. It's a blank sheet. It's, okay, now let's evaluate the resumes of all these teams uh, now that, you know, and, and, and it includes the previous weekend's games uh, that weren't on there the previous week, but they don't move teams up and down. They start with a blank sheet. And when you look at Alabama's resume, versus Ohio State's, Oregon, Cincinnati's, all of them. Uh, I think it's very fair, very logical to, to, to say that Alabama has the second best, uh, you know, what I would call strength of record or strength of performance uh, based week to week over, over eight games. So uh, my issue with the rankings, though, is this, and it's been touched on by a lot of people uh, in the fallout from, from the rankings last night, and that's how you weight the head-to-head -head stuff it seems that there's an inconsistency, Clinton. They rate Oregon ahead of Ohio State because Oregon won head-to-head. -head. Now, Oregon also has a bad loss to Stanford that Ohio State doesn't have. Ohio State's only loss is to Oregon. They have the, quote, good loss to a top-10 team, whereas Oregon has a bad loss. But because Oregon beat Ohio State head-to-head, -head, uh, they're ahead of Ohio State. Conversely, Michigan and Michigan State have played, and Michigan State won, well, Michigan State lost a game uh, to Purdue, uh, which isn't a bad loss. Purdue's now ranked. But Michigan State has this loss, uh, and they just lost. But in this instance, the committee ranks Michigan ahead of Michigan State despite the head-to-head -head win. So you're getting a little inconsistency that scares me. Now, I'm not saying one way is right and the other way is wrong, but they seem to just be inconsistent at how they do Oregon versus Ohio State and how they do Michigan versus Michigan State. Myself, 
I'm, I, I don't like bad losses. I, I think such a thing as a disqualifying loss. I think Oregon's loss to Stanford should be treated more harshly uh, than it's been. I don't think you should be number three and have a loss to a really bad football team. Now, Michigan State didn't necessarily lose to a bad team in Purdue, but Oregon did lose to a bad team. Uh, for that reason, I, I don't think that Oregon should be three. I think Ohio State should be three, uh, realizing that they lost that head-to-head matchup. But I'd put Oregon back around five, six, or seven based on – they're also averaging only uh, winning Pac-12 games by seven and a half points a game, and that's recognized as the weakest of the Power Five conferences. So I would have Oregon a little lower myself uh, and be a little bit more punitive about losses than the committee is. Uh, but uh, that being said, uh, it's not that different than the AP poll. If you, you just do the AP poll and the college football playoff poll side by side, there's not a lot of differences uh, after this week. And uh, I think generally they got it right. And Alabama's situation has not changed. Clint, win out, you're in. Lose, you're almost certainly not in. It goes beyond just the inconsistencies at the top. You know, obviously the Oregon, Ohio State, and then you compare that to, to Michigan, Michigan State, there's inconsistencies there. And, and that's the one that everybody's going to be talking about. But what I don't like is that you can find other examples further down the list. You know, you, you go down and you look at Auburn versus Ole Miss. Ole Miss checks in at number 15. Auburn checks in at number 17. Auburn just beat Ole Miss, right? You know, I mean, it, and, and Auburn's losses are to Penn State, Georgia, in Texas A&M, and all of those three were on the road. All three very difficult road losses. Plus, they have, like I said, that head-to-head against Ole Miss. In my opinion, those two teams should be swapped. You, you look at the head-to-head, and you completely ignore it in that instance. You look at Michigan, Michigan State, you completely ignore it in that instance. But that's your main driving point for Oregon being ranked ahead of Ohio State. That, to me, doesn't make any sense. You go a little bit right. further down. And granted, I understand that San Diego State has an 8-1 and record compared to a 6-3 and Utah team. But I think Utah is playing like one of the best teams in the country right now, or at least, yep. you know, a top 15 squad. And I understand that, like I said, San Diego State early on in the season in mid-September, they beat Utah. It was a close game. It was a three-overtime game. But, you know, if you're, if you're looking at it and you're, you're using the eyeball test to say that Michigan's better than Michigan State and you're looking at it to say that Ole Miss is better than Auburn, despite those head-to-heads, you can look at Utah and say, I think they're the better football team over San Diego State. And yet San Diego State is ranked number 22 and Utah is ranked number 24. So in that instance, it seems like that head-to-head. And granted, like I said, two more wins, but look at their, you know, compare their, their resumes. It's not very comparable. It would seem that, like, that head-to-head in that instance matters. It's just a lot of inconsistencies, and I don't like that. I think that gets you into a little bit of trouble. Anybody that looks at Ohio State compared to Oregon, I don't see too many people walking away saying, I think Oregon is the better football team. Oregon's got a good defense. I think Anthony Brown is very limited. You know, he's having an okay season. But out of all these playoff contenders, I think that Oregon has far and away the worst quarterback of any of them. And I think that that's going to hurt them because C.J. Verdell, you don't have that star running back anymore to rely on as far as your run game. So I, I just – Oregon, to me, being up there at number three right now, I think it's way too high. Um, you know, there was some other stuff that I liked. You know, Penn State being left out, I thought that was a little bit iffy, but I get it. I was okay with the, you know, Purdue making the jump all the way to number 19. You know, it's a matter of does it stick. I don't really know. I think that 
you know, that loss, or excuse me, that win against Michigan State, you continue to kind of move on uh, throughout the season. I don't think that's going to look quite as good later on, but we'll have to see. Oklahoma continue to check in at number eight. What were your thoughts on that? Well, I would have them higher than where they are, but one thing that's incredible is among all the contenders, Clint, among all the contenders, Oklahoma's opponents have by far the worst one-loss record. They have faced the weakest slate of teams. Uh, the one-loss record of their opponents is, is, is equal or worse than Cincinnati's one-loss record among its opponents. So Oklahoma's played basically no one, and yet they've barely won every game. I think they've only won one game comfortably. So Oklahoma has barely beaten a bunch of bad teams. So for that reason, I get that they're not ranked above the teams with losses that have played tougher schedules. I get it totally. But we have reached a point late in the season where winning all your games is pretty impressive. Now, their season is about to really uh, – they, they are about to play tough teams now. I think they play Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State all right in a row. Those are three quality teams. And uh, if the Oklahoma team we've seen so far shows up to play those three teams, they're going to have more than one loss by the time the conference championships roll around. But uh, I would have Oklahoma a little higher myself. But top four, top five, probably not. Uh, they just have they, – they have yet to be impressive at all. And here's the thing. I, I've seen a lot of Oklahoma fans – Turning to this win, I think it's 52 to 21 final score against Texas Tech this past weekend as their launching point. You know, all these other teams in the top 10, you know, really struggled and, and we won by 31 points. We actually looked good. This is the same. This is a what a five and four Texas Tech team that's lost three of the last four and four of the last six. They have not been a very good football team in the last, you know, several weeks. And yeah, and exactly. Great point. And then you look at it and you say, Texas beat them 70 to 35, a very mediocre Texas team. Like, and when I say by mediocre, I mean, you know, barely we're sub 500 at 500, you know, I mean, they're fighting for a bowl game that, you know, they're, they're fighting for six and six and yet they beat them by more than you beat them by. So like, let's stop this idea that, you know, you look good and you did what you needed to do against Texas tech, but just because you had one finally had one game that you won in the way that you were supposed to win it, now you're wanting everybody to show you a bunch of respect. Go out there and do that with a little bit of consistency, and then we can start to talk a little bit. And it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if Oklahoma goes undefeated and they win the Big 12, I think they're in the college football playoff. I don't think they're getting left Correct. out. You know, I so, I mean, being number eight, being number 19, being number 54, the bottom line is the end result's going to be the same. If you win out, you are in. If you are exposed for being the team that a lot of people, including myself, think that you are, you're not in. It's the same way for Alabama. You win, you're in. You don't, you're probably not. I mean, Alabama gets a little bit more cushion. They get that extra game because they're playing a much tougher schedule. And it doesn't matter at this point what they look like against LSU. It doesn't matter if they barely win every single game left on their schedule. They will go if they win. It doesn't matter if Oklahoma barely wins every game left on their schedule. If they're an undefeated Big 12 champion, Unless something just absolutely bonkers happens, Cincinnati's certainly not going over them. I guarantee you that. I think Cincinnati's right. screwed, you know, if I'm speaking candidly. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. have them in a position where they're ready to get jumped by, you know, Michigan, Michigan State, Oklahoma. You know, depending on what happens, Cincinnati I don't think is going to be in the college football playoff. Not with the way they've been playing. 
undefeated, not undefeated, doesn't matter. The last team for me that I thought, you know, I liked was Arkansas finally getting back into the top 25. You know, when you look at their losses, Auburn, Ole Miss, Georgia, you know, very tough opponents, all three are top 25 teams. And then you look at the, some of their wins, you know, Texas A&M, they, uh, you know, uh, also just beat a uh, Mississippi State team that was in the top 25. They've since fallen out, but it's a pretty good Mississippi State team. So I liked Arkansas crawling back in there as well. So, you know, like we said, for Alabama and what this means for Alabama, it, it's the same as it was last week. You know, it, it's went out and, and winning out does not look as good or as as much of a certainty. And it wasn't even a certainty last week, but it looks a lot less like a certainty with the way that they played against LSU. They've got to be able to right the ship against, you know, starting with New Mexico State, and then you work your way towards Arkansas. I think Arkansas is going to be a big one to kind of look at and analyze. And then, of course, you know, you got Auburn, and that's the one that everybody's circling on the calendar. Alabama with, you know, having Arkansas, then having Auburn, then having Georgia, that's a very tough three-game stretch to make it in the college football playoffs. So if they win all three of those, they certainly deserve to be there. Probably number one. I think if Alabama beats Arkansas, Auburn, and Georgia, Alabama not only makes the playoff, they probably enter the playoff as the number one seed, which is kind of funny to me if you think about it. I mean, so win out, you're the number one seed, uh, but lose to Georgia at the end, and you're not even in the playoff. Uh, yep. But that's why I'm saying I'm just throwing this out there. I'm one of the few that's throwing this out there. It's such a strange season. Um with, 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 you know, Oregon's going to have to beat Utah twice. I, I, I don't even know that they can beat them once. Uh, I, I, that, that eliminates the Pac-12. The ACC is already eliminated. Uh, you know, Notre Dame has to beat Virginia at Virginia this weekend. Uh, that, that might not be too easy. I'm just saying that a lot of weird things can happen. I am not ruling out Alabama getting in, even with a loss to Georgia if it's close. I'm not saying Alabama will be in with a close loss to Georgia, I'm just not ruling it out like so many people do. Uh, I say, let's wait and see what happens in all the other leagues and all the other games, and let, let's look at resumes then. And and I'm telling you guys, it is possible that, that a two-loss Alabama team still gets in, but Alabama can't count on that. What you can count on is win out and you're in, and that's what Alabama faces, and let's see if they can pull it off. I, I think all those games are going to be – really, really tough, and as tough as Auburn will be at Jordan-Hare, as tough as Georgia will be in Atlanta, Alabama's not in a position to look past Arkansas, though they can look past New Mexico State. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think the a very interesting debate would be a two-loss Alabama with a close loss to Georgia and a close loss against uh, Texas A&M, who, you know, they're now sitting at number 11. I think before it's all said and done, they're going to be, you know, hovering in that 7-8 range, to be, you know, quite honest. I think if they don't look past uh, Mississippi State towards uh, Alabama, if you lose to Arkansas, who's considered a good football team, that's fine. Mississippi State's also been considered a good football team. Um, and I think that the fact that the committee has been showing them so much respect, where they had Mississippi State last week and then where they've got Arkansas this week, 
um, I think that that bodes well for Texas A&M considering that's their two losses. But if they don't lose, if they like I said, if they don't look past Mississippi State, which is what I think they did, uh, Mississippi State's a good football team. Not saying that they didn't earn that win, but I don't. I think that there was some lingering effect from the Arkansas thing, and then them looking towards Alabama and saying we can't afford to lose another game. And Alabama, they thought was going to be the major obstacle there, and they ended up beating Alabama. It, it showed. You know, they they gave them a lot more preparation, but they didn't give enough to. You know, another opponent, and they lo- I dropped a second game, but it would be very interesting. You know, and, and it's like I said, I mean, if Alabama loses to Auburn and Texas A&M goes to the SEC championship and they beat Georgia, which, you know, I don't think is good. I think Texas A&M is playing like one of the better teams in the country. I still think they're limited offensively, but, you know, I think that they could play, you know, Alabama extremely well if they played again. Obviously, I mean, they beat them already once, but even on a neutral field, I think they play Alabama extremely well. I think they play Georgia very well. And, you know, Texas A&M could, you know, could be the first two lost team to get into the college football playoff, or it could be Alabama. You know, I won't completely rule that out either, but just uh, if Alabama were to go to the SEC championship, lose on a last second field goal, you know, to a Georgia and their only two losses are to Georgia and A&M who are both viewed that way on last second field goals or, you know, uh, less than a one score game. I I think that, they would probably go over Cincinnati. Someone that I think is going to make a climb, and whether they deserve it or not, they've been given ample opportunities over the years, and every time they're given an opportunity, they blow it. But it's Notre Dame. You know, yeah. I just, I, it's, it's. I know they're down there at number nine. That seems like quite the the climb, but with what they have on their schedule, with the, some of the wins that they've got, they completely dominated Wisconsin. Wisconsin's playing great right now. You know, they've got one of the top defenses in the country. You know, and their only losses to a team that's competing for, you know, playoff spot themselves in Cincinnati, who was a much better football team back when they played Notre Dame than they're playing like today. And I think the right. committee takes that into consideration as well. But it, it'll be interesting uh, that there's a lot to that has to happen. But I think that's just about covered it. You got anything else as far as the college football playoff? Yeah, I would just say the controversy of all controversies will be this. This is when I will literally feel sorry for everyone on the committee if they're faced with this but what happens when there's one spot left and it comes down to 11 and 1 Notre Dame versus undefeated American Athletic Conference champion Cincinnati for the last spot and they have to decide between oh well, since Notre Dame but Notre Dame has so many more quality wins and the strength of schedule won't even be close and all the metrics will favor Notre Dame getting in, but when you tell Cincinnati you can't get in and Notre Dame is, holy crap. They'll, well, uh, they'll, they'll expand the playoffs next year over that, but the committee will probably be right to include Notre Dame and leave Cincinnati out. What was the situation? Because I, I, I'm, I'm convincing myself that it was something that it wasn't. The situation with Penn State and Ohio State a couple of years ago. Right. They ended up going with Penn State won the Big Ten, correct? Yeah, Penn State beat them head to head, but they had two losses. And, no, no, yeah, correct, correct. And, and Ohio State did not win the Big Ten, and but they just had one loss. And Ohio State went over Penn State. So in correct. that instance, you set the precedent that even though the head to head is there, you're willing to put the team that didn't win. So maybe that would be something, you know, the precedent's been set. Maybe you look into that um, as well. You're right. It would be a lot of controversy, man. I mean, Cincinnati fans would be livid if they didn't get a chance to college football playoff because of a team that they beat, um, that they were asked to beat. They put on the schedule, they beat them, and they still don't get to go. The, The college football world, or at least in the state of Ohio, they'd be setting that place on fire. 
Cincinnati would be understandably livid, and I get 100% of it. And, Jimmy, I would vote to put Notre Dame in. They have more good wins, yeah. played a tougher schedule, proved over the course of 12 games that they're a better team than Cincinnati, uh, who did play really well that one particular Saturday. Uh, and, and I might feel differently if Cincinnati had beat the living crap out of all these bad teams they play, but they don't. That is the the key. And it's like I said, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. I think it was last week. If you're Cincinnati, you know, Alabama, because they're Alabama, because they're playing a tough game each and every week, Alabama struggles against LSU. People understand. People get past it. If you're Cincinnati, the way that you impress the committee is you win those couple of games that anybody even remotely considers tough or a very tough game in Notre Dame, which they've been able to do, but you also dominate the opponents that you are are lesser opponents on your schedule. And if you have that one game maybe where you don't look incredible, but you look incredible against all these other schools or all these other teams, then maybe they can get past that. But for the last three weeks, Cincinnati has looked very pedestrian, and I wouldn't have been shocked if they lost any of those three games. And so when you have an extended period like that, all right, so we had technical difficulties. I did, not Jimmy. This one's on me. Um, I, I had the blue screen air pop up, and, and the, the my entire computer crashed, and I'm pretty upset about it. Jimmy, I spent a lot of money on this computer, and I'm not – this shouldn't be happening. Um, but – I don't. I, I think the last thing that we we're talking about was Cincinnati, but um, we do have one question. If you want to go ahead and get to it, um, if my computer crashes again, I'm going to be having to go out to buy another two thousand dollar computer because I'm going to take a baseball bat to this thing uh, I have, immediately. I have the same problem. I spend a lot of money on beer and it's always gone. Uh, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, I spend a lot of money on beer and there's like none in the refrigerator. I I can't even begin to explain it. What's up with product disappointment? Just give me what I pay for. You know, if I go out there and I, and I say, you know what? I really want something that can handle just a lot being thrown at it. You know, if I want to have 500 tabs up at once, if I want to have, you know, video games on one screen rolling and streaming, if I want to have Netflix on another screen, if I want to be recording a podcast or an episode of the Bam on three show, let's have it all going at once, you know, and without crashing. That's why that's the whole reason you go out and you spend two grand on a computer. Otherwise it seems pretty, pretty, you know, ridiculous, a little bit excessive. And then to have it crash on you, you can't even, you know, I got four tabs pulled up, um, a word document and I'm talking to you and the computer says, no, I think that's a little bit too much for us to handle. Um, <sighs> we're going to go ahead and crash if, if you're cool with that. And it's like, no, I'm not cool with that. And if you do it again, you're going to, you're going to catch these hands. Um, you're going to be like, uh, Nick Saban was on that referee on the sidelines on Saturday when, after that Bryce young targeting, but we do have one, mailbag question that we didn't get to yesterday and we were just about to talk about that when my computer decided not to cooperate and so we'll go ahead and get to it and then we'll hop out of here before anything else bad happens and i, I gotta be honest with you, you know for anybody that's listening thought we lost everything that we just recorded all 30 plus minutes that you just listened to thought it was all gone um i said some very bad words that i would never say um publicly and then i get on and, and zoom took care of me it said that there was a file there that i had not converted and did I want to convert. So zoom saved the day. I complain a lot about zoom, but I will give them credit where credit is earned, but uh, we'll move on to the Instagram question, the lone Instagram question that we got regarding the mailbag yesterday. And Jimmy, I'll, I'll pitch it to you first, but Tom on Instagram asked what's going on with the two new NFL coaches. These guys were head coaches on the highest level and they are failing miserably at Alabama. 
O'Brien has been terrible, and Marone has been even worse. What gives? Well, um, based on the LSU game, I'll, I'll call that a fair question based on the LSU game. But I, I don't look at in evaluating Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone. I, I, I'm going to look at the whole season, uh, the whole eight games, the nine games that they, they've, they've coached nine games, not not one. And Alabama is 11th in the nation in total offense and fourth in the nation in scoring offense. And uh, I, I know it's a big step back from last year, and it's probably a big step back from 2019. Uh, but it's it's I, I, I don't believe it's horrible. I think it's the 11th best offense in the country, arguably the fourth best offense in the country. And I'm impressed that they were able to piece that together with all the losses that they have with Mack and Najee and Devontae and Waddle and three NFL offensive linemen gone and and they still managed to piece it together. So I actually don't believe they're they're miserably failing at all. I think they are struggling week to week to make the offense work with some limitations that the offense faces. Uh Marone's group in particular. Uh we've talked about on the show quite a bit. Uh look you know, for the past five or six years, Alabama's put five offensive linemen on the field, and you were ready to bet that all five were going to play in the National Football League. I, I would not bet that with this group that's played, that started nine games. I don't believe Chris Owens is going to be a first-round pick. I don't believe he may he may not be drafted at all. I don't believe Emil Echior has playing like an NFL player. I don't believe that JVN Cohen is playing like an NFL player yet, uh, though he may down the road. Uh, Dalcourt's not an NFL player yet, though he may down the road. Evan Neal's fantastic, but that, but Evan Neal, we used to have three or four Evan Neals. Now we got one. So I, I don't believe that Doug Marone has done a horrible job. I think he just has less to work with than our previous offensive line coaches. And uh, some of it's on recruiting, some of it's on development, some of it's on injury, some of it's on bad luck. But this is just what we have right now. So, uh, and, and then one other thing, Bill O'Brien is responsible for the quarterback and our quarterback is a first year starter that may win a Heisman trophy. So I don't see how we can say Bill O'Brien's not coaching our quarterback. Well, uh, I think he's done an outstanding job with Bryce because Bryce is one of the very best quarterbacks in the country, maybe the best quarterback in the country. So I don't think it's so bad. I think the LSU game was bad, but uh, I've said before repeatedly on Twitter, the chief sin of football fans is small sample size. Uh, it, it was one game. And uh, I don't recall people coming on our show and Twitter and social media the day after we beat Mississippi State 49 to 9 and, and, and wanting O'Brien and Marone fired. So uh, I, I think you have to look at the whole season and not just uh, what happened on Saturday. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I do think schematically there are some issues. Um, I think there schematically there are issues with the offensive line, but I think that you know what it is 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 Doug Marone's trying to work with what he's got, and he's trying to do some things. I mean, look, the Dalcourt initially the Dalcourt injury to me, I thought that it was possible by Dalcourt going out that you end up replacing him with Chris Owens, who has a lot of experience, who has looked good at center before you know, moving inside. So I thought maybe there won't be much of a drop off there. And I thought, you know, I, I just, I'm speaking candidly. I thought Damian George could potentially provide an upgrade. I understand there's a reason Chris Owens has been starting at right tackle. And that had me a little bit reluctant, but I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe George is a gamer. He gets out there and he performs well. 
And, you know, I was impressed. I think he's going to, you know, stick around at, at right tackle. And, and I know that with Dalcourt currently dealing with an injury, you know, Nick Saban during the uh, SEC coaches teleconference was asked about the center position. And, you know, he said that, you know, he does think they have a little bit of a competition going on uh, at that spot because he, he does know that Chris Owens has played the position in the past, but there's some young guys who he feels like is ready to step up um, if they need them to. I think that's his way of saying, look, we, we, we had Chris Owens at center throughout the summer, you know, spring, fall camp, uh, a lot of fall camp. We made the move because he just wasn't getting the job done. On the fly, we thought that was the best move was for us to go back, you know, send him to center. That didn't work out. And and so I think that's him saying we need to do something else at this position. And I, I would be, you know, one question that I've had, and, and the coaching staff has seen him, I have not, but I've never seen Emil Ikior playing a whole lot of center. And I know that coming out, he was listed as a center coming out of high school. You know, he, he can play all three interior line spots, or at least I think he can. I wonder why he hadn't gotten more run or at least the opportunity to play center. And then you could insert, you know, let's say that, you know, you wanted to leave Chris Owens at right tackle. Let's say, you know, maybe you wanted to put Damian George, which I think is going to be the case. I think this is the 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 opportunity that Nick Saban needed. Um, I'm not saying that he's purposefully trying to do anything, but um, I think that Damian George end up, ends up sticking around at right tackle as the starting right tackle moving forward out of this situation. And I think it's Chris Owens that, you know, he's going to end up not starting this week at center, even if Dow Court is not healthy. I think it's going to end up being somebody else. I could be wrong. We'll kind of have to wait and see. Like like Saban said, there's there's competition. But um, you know, Ikior is one that I've had questions about because I thought, you know, I don't I mean maybe he could end up being the answer at center. I don't know. Or maybe it could be one of those other guys. Seth uh Seth McLaughlin. Um you got uh you know James Brockermeyer. I don't know how those two guys are progressing. Um, you know, Tanner Bowles has been a guy who's seen a lot of action at center. He can also play guard a little bit undersized, but you could see him, uh, on Saturday, a lot of, there are some options and I don't know who Nick Saban's referring to as far as those guys that are behind, you know, Darian Dowcourt and Chris Owens, who he thinks are ready to kind of step up and maybe have an opportunity to, to start at least until Darian Dowcourt is healthy. But, you know, going back to the coaching staff, I think there's been a lot of issues that, that. Doug Marone has tried to work around. If you give him last year's group, you think we're still having this conversation, Jimmy? Nope. Nope. I think Doug Marone's been coaching NFL offensive linemen his whole life, and that's what he would have coached last year. Yep. That's a great way to put it. I mean, and he's just not, he's coached NFL offensive linemen for a very long time, and he's, I don't think he's coaching a lot of them right now, with not with the way that they're playing. And I think that's a little bit of an adjustment period. Um, Bill O'Brien, for a guy who's been handed the keys to the kingdom, we're going to compare him to Lane Kiffin, and we're going to compare him to Steve Sarkeesian, and we're going to compare him to to Brian DeBall and Mike Loxley. Bottom line is, all of those guys had way more talent, established talent, especially up front with the with the offensive line, than uh, uh, Bill O'Brien has right now. And so I think that that you know I don't think he's doing a great job. I'm not saying that I do. I just think that there's there's more to this situation than a lot of people realize, um, and that's affecting things a little bit. So. Very long window way to go about that. Um, real quick, just to give people, and I know that we're probably going to get in trouble because it's probably going to go long as a result of this, but I'll at least let you give your quick thoughts on Marcus Banks entering the transfer portal. I mean, I think the writing was on the wall the second that uh, Jalen Armour Davis goes down. And, you know, Kool-Aid McKinstry, first of all, was he's the one that got the start, which established that he was the, the, the number three behind Jalen Armour Davis and behind uh, Josh Job, And then when... Uh, Armour Davis goes down. It was not Marcus Banks who came into the game, 
just give people the thoughts, uh, your thoughts on Marcus Banks entering the transfer portal. Yeah, I remember specifically, it's funny, uh, you know, uh, I, I have specific recollection of when uh, Jalen Armour Davis went out uh, from where I sit in the stadium. That was at the total opposite side of the field. And uh, 28, 26 can look a lot alike. And I remember asking, uh, asking my wife, I'm like, hey, uh, down there, the, uh, the, 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 the Alabama player on the far right, is that 26 or 28? And, uh, and she's like, that's, that's 28. And I'm like, wow. Uh, Cause I just remember her asking, I don't ask her too many questions at the game. She asked me a couple here and there, but I don't ask her too many questions, but that was at the total opposite side of the field. She can see a little better than I could. So uh, yeah, I think it was that moment. I think it was literally as I was asking my wife, is that 28 or 26? Marcus Banks was asking which direction to the transfer portal. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, that just seems like what's happened. And two things, number one, we're going to see a lot more of this. This is the new normal so get used to it if you're an Alabama fan that hates this uh I get it but you're just gonna have to live with it because Marcus Banks will not be the last Alabama player in the portal this year he won't be the last Alabama player you don't want to see in the portal this year but it's gonna happen that's just the new normal secondly it's a little frustrating I know personally I'm just talking not as an Alabama fan but as a sports fan I'm not a big Hey, Marcus, you know, if, if you're if you don't believe that you're going to start at Alabama or the cards are stacked against you or the coaches don't like you or whatever it is that you believe that's keeping you out of the starting lineup, if you believe you're not going to play at Alabama, then, then fine. I, I think everyone should thank you for your contribution and 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 help you pack your bags and, and get you safely to the bus terminal for you to jump in the portal. Uh, that's fine. But how about wait till the season's over? Why are you quitting on your teammates in the middle of the season, particularly in a week that you could – he might have started Saturday against New Mexico State if Jalen Armour Davis's ribs aren't better, if Job's turf toe isn't better, and we need the starter to go along with Kool-Aid. It's probably Banks because he started back in week two in that same situation. So why leave now? Why leave this week? Uh, seems to me it was a – a quick emotional decision and not a thought out one. And and I'd be more supportive of it if he had decided in December after the SEC championship game was over uh, to jump in the portal mid-semester. I don't really get quitting in week nine. Uh, I don't see the advantage he gets by jumping in the portal today as opposed to the first week of, of December. So I'm not a fan of the timing, but, uh, but um, I mean, I understand his, uh, his frustration and and he's a good player. Unlike we have some players that go in the portal that in my head, I think, well, he just wasn't good enough to play here. Uh, I don't think that way of banks. Uh, I think Marcus banks is a good player. I think he was good enough to be a starter at Alabama. Uh, if not now next year. And, uh, I think he's going to be a good player, uh, no matter where he goes. My question to you real, real quick. So is he done with the team? Because I haven't really went and looked. I, I I saw that initial, you know, I know that you can enter the transfer portal and then choose to pull yourself out. Was this decision made on top of him saying, I, not only am I entering the transfer portal, but I'm leaving the team trying to I find don't, somewhere? Or... I don't believe he's a practice this week. Yeah. I think I don't believe he's a practice. That, that's the telling thing. I, I don't believe he's a practice this week. I think he's left the team. Now, I could be wrong about that. I mean, I'm getting that not from – Alabama, but from somebody else. So I'm, I'm not hundred percent positive about that, but I'm pretty sure that's true that he's not with the team this week, not practicing, therefore won't be 
dressing out against New Mexico State. I think he's just leaving now. He might still be going to class to finish up the semester. That might be that 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 might be happening. I don't think Alabama. See, here's the thing. Don't don't be the fan that's like, oh, f him. You know, he he doesn't get to go to our class if he's not. He's on scholarship. No, not in this new age. You cannot be vindictive towards the kids because we got to keep recruiting kids. We don't want to quote mistreat one and then that get out to all the prospects. I mean, uh, I think if if Marcus wants to leave, uh, the, the 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 staff and the university is going to cater to him and do what they can to help him. Well, and I'll, this has been the final thing that is said on this. What do you think would be, benefit Marcus Banks more? You know, he's not training for the NFL Combine. He, he's training right. to you know uh, to leave to go to another place and, and contribute. Do you think it would be more beneficial for him to leave and go train on his own or to continue to go against Alabama receivers every day in practice and to continue to get coached up by Nick Saban and, you know, these defensive coaches at Alabama for the rest of this season? You know, if you're trying to put yourself in the best position to have success at your next destination, you would think that he would want to stick around and and finish out and continue to try to get better for the next three, you know, two or three months in comparison. And then you make your move. Um, so that was a smart thing to do. That should have been what happened. And hey, I'm I'm not begrudging the kid for wanting to leave. Uh, I, I get it. I, I, it's fine if he's like, "That's it, my decision's final. I'm leaving." Fine, but leave in December. Leave in December. That's going to help you. It, it, you're not walking out on your team. You might be needed by your team before then. Uh, it, there was every reason to me to stay until December, and then and then go. And again, but but. I, I doubt it's created hard feelings to the point that that they're mad. I, I'm sure they're going to help him. Uh, but, you know, to my understanding is this was a um, leaving the team and getting in the portal. Gotcha. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Bama on three show. Barring any sort of more computer stuff where I straight up go office space on this computer uh, like they did with that baseball bat and the fax machine in that movie. Um, we should be back again tomorrow talking a little bit about New Mexico State, but more so uh, focusing on things that we want to see from Alabama, maybe some players we want to see, and uh, taking it from there. So, Jimmy, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, and we will talk again tomorrow. Once again, this has been the Bama on 3 show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.